0: So we are continuing our sermon series through the parables. So we're in Luke chapter 16 today. So if you can go ahead and turn to that. Now, this parable is, for me at least, has been one of the trickiest ones to kind of wrestle with and say, what, what is Jesus even saying here? Because as you, as you read it, if you read it just on a surface level, and if you don't read closely and pay close attention to what Jesus is saying... The lesson you might accidentally walk away with is Jesus is saying, you know, it's it's fine to embezzle from your boss as long as you make friends along the way, right? Obviously, this is not what Jesus is saying, but uh, what we're going to do today is we're going to read this carefully, and what if we do that, I think what you will find is that Jesus has a lot to say about what we place our value in as disciples of Jesus, about who is our ultimate master, and about what it means to be faithful with our wealth and our money and our resources if you are a follower of Jesus. So with that, I'm going to invite you to stand with me as I read from God's Word. We're going to be in Luke chapter 16, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 15. So, he also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager and chargers were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write down eighty. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you you have not been faithful in that which is another, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your heart, for what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Father, I'll pray that we will listen closely to your word, and since it is your word, we will recognize it as authority in our lives. So I pray that we will listen closely, that you, through your spirit, will speak to our hearts and our minds. You will show us where we have sinned against you so that we might repent. And show us how to be faithful to you and follow you that, so that we might receive the joy that comes with obedience. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, like I said, from first reading, this seems like a very strange parable. After all, it has it says things like this dishonest, embezzling manager just did some more dishonesty when he found out he was fired. And when the master found out about it, he praised him. And more than that, it, it it says things like, um, uh, it says things like in verse nine. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of a righteous wealth, right? Like, what is Jesus trying to say here? This this seems very strange at first. So the first principle when we're reading this, though, that will help us to understand this is that G- the master in this in this parable is not the same thing as saying that this is Jesus, or that this is God. God is not sitting here praising an unrighteous action. Instead, he's using a story, and he's saying, hey, look, even this this unrighteous person, the son of this world, they are more shrewd than than you guys are. And you guys have the truth, son of light, right? You, You guys know the truth, and yet you are being more foolish than this man is, Right? So so that's one principle. The other principle is this. The, The idea behind this whole parable is that this manager was looking ahead to his future. He was making an honest assessment. Hey, this is going to happen to me very soon. I'm going to be without a job, without a means of taking care of myself. And he made an honest assessment of himself, decided he couldn't do manual labor. He wasn't cut out for it. He was too proud to beg. And so what's left with him? How is he going to survive the future? And when we read this as Jesus telling us to prepare for our future, to make an honest assessment, and to live accordingly, I think we will start to understand what Jesus is saying. You see, what Jesus is telling the the Pharisees, what Jesus is telling, actually, he's he's addressing his disciples directly in this is that they need to take an honest assessment of what is coming in the future, and based on that knowledge, they must take actions accordingly, specifically with the way they use their material resources. right? So that is what Jesus is addressing in this parable. Um, and, and although these principles can apply to all of your life in many different scenarios, Jesus is specifically addressing material goods, resources, wealth, money. The reason for that, I think, should be simple, because if you look at something that has been important for almost all human beings, something that human beings, since the fall, have been tempted to take and misuse in one way or the other, it is often in regards to our money, right? And so Jesus is addressing that directly. And there are two mistakes that people often make when it comes to earthly treasures, earthly resources, earthly wealth right? The, the, the one that is common in which much of this parable addresses is to use it as for yourself, is to worship it as some sort of God where you live all of your life in the accumulation of wealth. We're going to get to that. The parable addresses it, but I wanted to address the other one. You see, one of the mistakes especially Christians often make, especially very spiritual Christians who are wanting to live faithfully, who love the things of God, who understands that earthly wealth is temporary, is they then say, okay, well, if it's temporary, then it's not important. We can do whatever we want with it. We don't have to worry about it too much, right? We can just, it's its not really a concern of ours, right? Don't overthink about money. But what I want to point out here is that what Jesus is commending is not to not think at all about money, but it is to be shrewd in your use of money. That is a very different thing. So on the one hand, yes, we will see that Jesus addresses an overly love of money, but he also addresses it from the approach of be wise, be shrewd. These are gifts of God, but they are to be used in accordance with what the future is going to bring in order to act wisely with the money. These material resources that we have, they are gifts from God. They are not unimportant. They're not ungood. They're not something evil that should be shunned and and are not thought about at all, but they should be used shrewdly, right? Because there are two mistakes that that people often make with money. And we can see that here, Uh, especially when in verse 9, um, uh, sorry. Yeah. In verse 9, it says, and I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, you may receive into eternal dwellings. And what he says through this is that the sons of the world are more shrewd than the sons of light in regards to money, right? But how do you use your money shrewdly? So if we look at this man in the parable, what he's doing is he's looking at his future. He will soon be without employment, soon will be without money. So he makes plans for the future with his money to be taken care of regarding that. So then what does it mean to live shrewdly with our material resources as Christians? And this is where I think it's important to point out there are two differences between the sons of the world and the sons of light. So let me read verse 8 again to you so that we can see this more closely. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd, and dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And then verse 9, it goes on, And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, you may they re- may receive you into the eternal dwellings. So what is the difference between acting shrewdly with your resources and not? And I think that is found in the phrase eternal dwellings. What does it mean to be a... Acting shrewdly as the son of this world, it means to prepare for your future, to do what you can with your resources to be taken care of. What separates them from the sons of light is that the sons of light know that this is temporary, that actually there is an eternity, and we should use our material resources now in preparation for eternity. See, that is the difference between the two types of shrewdness. Jesus is not saying here, use your money exactly like the sons of this world who prepare for their future years. No, Jesus is saying, actually, you know there is an eternity coming in which you will be called to account for how you use your resources, and yet you're not using your resources in accordance with that belief. You're not using your resources to prepare for eternity. And how do you use your resources? And that's where I think it's interesting. He says, use your wealth to make friends so that they might welcome you into eternal dwellings. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying all the material resources that you have, use those with the end and mind of making disciples. They might welcome you into eternal dwellings. Use your physical resources, your material resources, your material wealth and money in a way that helps persuade people of the gospel and makes them part of the family of Christ. That way in eternity, you might they might welcome you into their eternal dwelling places. Why is that? Why, why is Jesus telling us to do that with our material wealth? Well, because of the two principles. One is that we will live for eternity. But the other principle is this. Let me read it again from you. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. So if the first principle in using your resources shrewdly is to recognize that there is an eternity that we are preparing for. The second thing is to recognize all these material wealth and possessions that are given as a gift to God to us are temporary. Notice it doesn't say um, prepare for eternity, recognizing that maybe your material resources will fail, uh, or they could fail, or even that they probably will fail. No, it says, and I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of a righteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwelling. What is Jesus saying here is that all material wealth in this present life will come to an end. I mean, that's something we can even see now. If you think about all the richest kingdoms and empires in the world, all the mountains of gold and treasures that were amassed by these emperors, all of these treasures eventually faded away. Sure, we have some of it locked up in museums here and there. That's a tiny portion of the wealth that has been accumulated. And even that did not last. But more than that, even the wealth, while it was around, didn't benefit the emperors and the kings who had accumulated it very long. Why? Because once again, that first principle, we prepare for eternity. And what happens to all human beings after the fall? They die. No human being can take their earthly material possessions into the afterlife. Eventually, material possessions fail. Eventually, material possessions run their course. So what Jesus is saying is, hey, you, sons of light, you know there's an eternity. You know you can't bring your material possessions into that eternity, so why are you hoarding it for yourselves? This seems very, very foolish. Like, why are you using these things in a way that brings you temporary happiness or temporary joy that's going to fade incredibly quickly and not use it to store up for yourselves treasures in eternity? Why are you not being generous with what you have? And so the Christian, to live generously is not foolish. To live generously is actually incredibly shrewd, incredibly wise, because we are using these earthly possessions and materials to store up for us a treasure in eternity. We know that at some point it will fail. At some point either the treasure itself goes away, or we die and can't take it with us. One of those two possibilities will happen to all material wealth. So what happens next? What are you doing with these resources now to gain an investment that pays off later, right? We all we all do this to a certain extent. All of us, I hope, are if you have a job and a career, are putting away an investment so it accumulates more wealth. That way, when it comes to retirement, you have more than what you originally set in. Well, eternal wealth is a lot like this. We pay a little bit now with our generosity on earth. And that is storing up for us an incalculable treasure in the new heaven and the new earth. When it comes to the people that through our material resources pointed them to Jesus and the gospel and then brought them into the kingdom of God. God used the material possessions we have in a way to bring people into his kingdom. An eternal treasure, an eternal reward. But that's not all he has to say. Living shrewdly is not just living generously, although that's Big part of it. It's also living faithfully. You see this. In verse 10, it says this One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. One who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If you then have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you true riches? Here's another principle. When it comes to how we shrewdly use material wealth, we recognize there's an eternity that we were preparing for, that that material possession will not follow us into eternity, but we can use it in a way now to gain up treasures in eternity, right? Two, two principles. The other one is this. all. If you are a follower of Jesus, all of your material wealth is not your material wealth. I think one of the first mistakes when it comes to Christians evaluating how we are to spend our money and our wealth and our resources is the first word, in that statement, our. You see, as Christians, what we acknowledge is that if you are a follower of Christ, you have been bought at a price. An incredible, priceless price. The Son of Jesus became a human being, lived a perfect life you could never live, died for you so that your sins might be forgiven, rose again that you might have new life. That is price paid for you. Nothing can pay that back. But because of that, that means that you are not own. All that you are, all that you own as a Christian is not yours, it is Christ. And so if we are to live in the reality of that truth as Christians, that means that when we plan what to do with our money and our wealth and our resources that we make, our salary, we change that first word. What do we do with Jesus's money and salary and resources that he is temporarily entrusting to us? We completely change the way we view money. We are not the owners of the wealth. We are, like in this parable, the managers and the stewards. And each one of us will eventually have to give an account of how we handled Jesus's books here on earth. Right? What's interesting, though, is if you had a financial manager now who was giving away your money to everyone, that would not be a good financial manager, right? You might have to fire them and get someone else. But the great thing about Jesus is, is that that's what he calls us to do, to live generously and to live shrewdly, not just giving away our money, right? We're not careless with our money, but we're thinking shrewdly, how can these resources be leveraged to make the biggest impact for God's kingdom? How can I use this money in the most strategic, influential way to help share the gospel, to present the gospel and win people into the kingdom as possible? And so by living generously with someone else's money, we're actually given accommodations by our master. Isn't that that an amazing thing? Once again, this is not something you should look for in a regular financial planner, someone who wants to be generous with your money. But that's what Jesus calls us to do, right? To use his money in a generous way, but faithfully, but shrewdly, so that it makes an impact to bring people into his kingdom. That's what we're called to. Why? Because it's not our money. But the great thing is this, even though it's not our money that we are not using, right, that it's not our money that we are using, we still get the reward. We still get the treasure. Let me keep reading to you. If then you have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? What is that saying? if you are faithful with unrighteous money, you will be entrusted with true riches. True riches, right? What Jesus is saying is all of this material possessions on the earth aren't true riches because it fades. But if you are faithful in this, you will be entrusted with eternal treasures that will not fade where moth and rust will not destroy In other words, what is it to live shrewdly with our material resources here on earth if you're a follower of Christ? It's to recognize that by using them generously and faithfully and shrewdly, we actually gain an unfading treasure, right? The interesting thing about the Christian life I often say to our youth is sometimes we get the idea that to do good for its own sake is the highest form of good. A lot of you have heard that. Yes, you did good, but you got a benefit from it, so it doesn't count. No, to to truly do good is to do good selflessly with no expectation of return. And maybe I I can see the merit behind that in some forms of thought. But guess what? That's not actually a Christian thought. The Christian thought is this, to do good, not for its own sake, but because you know that God is watching and will reward you far beyond what you could ever imagine. Far beyond what you put in, God and his generosity pays back. Christians do not do good for their own sake. They do good because they know their father is watching and will reward them beyond anything they ever could even think to sacrifice in this lifetime. So what is it to live shrewdly and wisely? It's not to hoard up possessions for yourself so that for a couple years at the end of the life you might live a little bit more freely and you may live a little bit more in in joys and pleasures. No, that's foolish when you view it in light of eternity, that no matter what you sacrifice now, God and his generosity will pay back beyond what you could even imagine, especially knowing that all these earthly possessions are not yours in the first place. So how do we as Christians live with our material possessions? Well, we we live shrewdly by preparing for our future by using our resources shrewdly which means to live generously and faithfully with what God has given so that we might use those resources to to grow God's kingdom in the most strategic ways right shrewdly generously faithfully that's how we use our resources but why and that's where i think jesus ends where where um Luke ends this parable with a confrontation with the Pharisees. So one thing you got to know about the Pharisees is they're the religious leaders of their day. As Christians, sometimes we read into the New Testament this, this uh, theory that the Pharisees were just terrible people, and in a way they definitely combated against Jesus a lot, and he kind of tore down their pride, but if you were in the first century and you were a Jewish person, you look to these as the most holy of holy most righteous people, exemplars of morality and faith and religion. And not only that, but they're actually very prominent. They were held in high esteem. And, and, but here's what Jesus had to say about them. The Pharisees were lovers of money. You see, there is a way to give off the appearance of being this good, upstanding moral citizen and still be a lover of money. Think about the guys who write those big old checks that, like, if they'd just given a smaller check that would have been seen by less people, they'd have had $200 more they could have given away, right? Or the people who give this huge donation if their name goes on the building, right? They will give this huge donation if their name goes in the newspaper and if people recognize them and praise them when they see them, right? Uh, this is There is a way of using our money that appears to be righteous and generous, like the Pharisees who did give alms to the poor, but when they did so, they had people announce it with trumpets and they did it where everyone could see them. Jesus condemns, condemns this type of behavior in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Why does he condemn it? Well, because they're not giving for the sake of God and his kingdom. They're not giving for their recognition from God. They're giving for their recognition from human beings. Once again, human beings, we're not, Jesus isn't saying do good for its own sake. He's saying you're being foolish. You're giving for recognition from men when you could have recognition from God, right? Which is greater, which is wider, wiser, which is more shrewd. And and so then he goes on to tell them this in verse 13, no servant can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one, or love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the verse that ties all of these teachings in together. There are two ways of life. You can either live for God's gifts, or you can live for God himself. This is something that I've been saying to the students every week. We've been doing this series on how The fall affected every area of our humanity and how Jesus restores every area of our humanity. One of the things I say every week, probably to the point they're sick of it, but I'll keep saying it, is this. Is that when human beings were created, they were meant to look for God for their ultimate satisfaction. All of their joy, all of their peace, all of their purpose, all of their safety and security and pleasure were to come from God. And when that relationship was right, God also gave us good gifts that we were to enjoy so that we might enjoy the gift giver. Or what happened when that relationship with God fell, when it became corrupted? We no longer looked to God for that ultimate satisfaction and happiness. We began to look to God's gifts. We began to look towards the material, wealth, and possessions God gives us, towards the relationships, whether to friends or families or spouses, to a relationship with nature, all these other things. We looked for ultimate satisfaction Safety, joy, peace, and and they became our gods. But here's the thing. None of these gifts were meant to provide us with ultimate satisfaction. So when we look to them, what we do is we end up feeling restless and, and uncontent. And we never find what we're looking for. So we always keep searching and keep searching. And more than that, because that gift wasn't meant to hold the weight of being God uh it ruins the gift as well because that gift was never meant to be our god right and, and so we see this when it comes to money the the most popular uh person in our culture that i think illustrates this is if you look at the christmas carol scrooge right scrooge lived for accumulating wealth he did it so he never spent money he, he always, he was never generous. He was always stingy and squeezing every last coin he could, but then he tried to never spin that coin. He just lived for the accumulation of wealth. And yet, what was his life? His life was miserable. He lived in cold. He lived with the, like bread and soup for his meals. He was stingy even with himself. And so it made him miserable because his God was the accumulation of wealth and yet it never provided him with ultimate satisfaction. It ruined both him, making him ever restless, and the gift as well. Because money by itself is not evil. It's that endless search of money. The love of money is what is evil. All right? Another way to illustrate this is, imagine for a second, um, I bought a flower for my lovely fiance, right? That's a That's a good gift. I hope she enjoys that gift when I give it to her. Uh, She enjoys flowers, so she she should enjoy that gift. But imagine she took that flower that I cut and so would soon fade and crumple and and die away. And and she loved that flower so much that she did everything she could to try and preserve it and keep it from fading. She spent hours trying to water and give it nutrients. She spent hours working longer at work so she could buy some miracle cure to provide for the flower to keep it alive. So much so that she wouldn't leave the flower. She wouldn't even spend time with me anymore. She wouldn't go on dates with me anymore. I see, you, I hope you're seeing the ridiculousness of it. And at the end of the day, the flower still fades and crumples and goes away. But then what? She spent months away from me, not spending any more time with the gift giver. That's ridiculous. That's silly. That's foolish. That's how we approach our finances. When you pursue endless wealth and st- and you pursue the gifts of God over pursuing God, that's what you're doing. All of these things come to an end in this lifetime. All the material gifts of God will fade away and come to an end. But at the end of the day, if that's all you pursued and they just turn to dust around you, you don't even have the gift giver anymore. And that's what it was meant to point you to all along. So what is Jesus teaching in this parable? What he's teaching is that to live shrewdly in regards to our resources and our wealth is to live with eternity in mind. It means to use our temporary trinkets for eternal treasure. It means to use what is not ours, what has been given to us here in this lifetime, so that we may receive eternal Treasure. It is to use the gift of God so that we might love the gift giver. That is what Jesus is saying in this sermon. He's not—he's not praising embezzlements or, or using uh, corrupt tactics. What he's saying is that look, even this person who doesn't know the full truth at least recognizes that he has to plan for his future and use his material goods not as an end in of themselves, but to prepare for that future. You guys who know about eternity, shouldn't you be doing better than what you're already doing? Shouldn't you be more shrewd, more wise? Shouldn't you be using your resources to make eternal treasures, to make friendships that last for eternity, not just friendships of convenience that that go on until you're no longer useful? And that's what we're called to as Christians. And so that is the beautiful thing of this parable. And, and, and what I want to end with, though, is this idea that when you serve God and not God's gifts, you are then, remember, remember what I said, when you serve the gift and not the gift giver, it not only leaves you restless and unsatisfied, it ruins the gift itself. But the opposite is also true. When you go to Jesus in faith, accepting the free gift of the gospel, Not only does Jesus restore your relationship with God, so now you can have ultimate satisfaction, ultimate peace and security, ultimate purpose, ultimate pleasure and joy and and all of these things. He also then restores the gifts to you in their proper place, right? In communion, one of the things we celebrate in communion is this incredible gift God gave us in his son that gives us salvation. But the word communion implies that we take it communally. Jesus not only restores our relationship with God, He restores our relationship with each other. He restores one of His good gifts. He not only gives He not only restores our relationship with God, but he also gives us eternal treasure, His good gifts. This is the generosity that we have as Christians. We serve a loving Father who gives us abundantly in this lifetime these amazing gifts. And when we in turn use those gifts that are not ours in the first place to lovingly give back to God, he then rewards us for that and gives us eternal treasures that never fade. This is the good news of the gospel. That God, We cannot be out generous in comparison to God. We cannot out-give God. We cannot be more generous, more compassionate, more um, free with our love and our gifts than God is with us. Whatever we give, God pays back with eternal rewards. It's amazing. So with that in mind, I want to, if you're asking, okay, this is a good sermon. I understand what it means now, but what do we do with it? How do we actually live out this truth? And I think it's this. It's looking, how am I using my resources now? That's my money, but also my house and my car and the things that I own and possess. What am I doing with these things? Am I using them just for my own kind of satisfaction and my own pleasure? It's not a bad thing to use them that way, but is that the only way I'm using? Or am I trying to think strategically, how can I use what God has already given me in order to point more people to Jesus and now, each of us, that's going to look very different. Some of you, that means opening your homes more, right? I know we all like our our private space, our alone time, even the most extroverted, need time alone sometimes, right? But what would it look like to spend a little extra time during the week to clean up your house, to prepare a meal, to invite your neighbors in who don't know Jesus, to show them the love of having a meal made for them to point them to Jesus? But what does it look like, your neighbor who is having car troubles and you've been gifted with what the gifts of being able to work and repair machinery? What would it look like to come over and help them to repair because they're struggling with their finances to pay someone to repair the car? Or what would it even look like to offer to drive them somewhere? A little inconvenient to you, but it could be a great act of love for your neighbor. How do you use what you already have in order to show people the love of Jesus through your actions and your generosity and your shrewdness. That's my challenge for you this week, right? I'm not calling you to to live beyond your means. I'm calling you to live within your means, but more strategically, more purposefully, using what God is giving you for the advancement of God's kingdom. So with that, though, I'm going to pray as we continue to worship through song. Father, I thank you that you are so incredibly generous to us, that you give for us an incredible abundance of your gifts because you delight in us, because you enjoy us, and you love to see us enjoying your gifts. I pray that we, as your followers, would look beyond the gifts to enjoy the gift giver, that we would live in such a way as to show that we truly believe that there is an eternity, and there is an eternal Father who, is, who will reward us beyond all measure that we spend our lives purposely to bring other people into the family and the joy that is provided through your son's gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.